All right, let us open our Bibles together. If you have a copy of Scripture, I'd encourage you to take it out and turn to Ephesians 4.28 with me. If you don't have a copy, I would encourage you to look at it in the Bible on the pew in front of you. Ephesians 4, verse 28. That single verse will be our text today. Ephesians 4.28. Today we are talking about the sin of stealing and the purpose of honest work. Now, we as a culture are kind of fascinated with stealing. We're fascinated with it. What, what I mean is when you look at our entertainment, we're fascinated with stealing. You'd be surprised at how much of our entertainment, when you step back and think about it, is based on the thrill of watching someone try to steal something, right? We, we love watching that stuff. Think of all the heist movies over the years. I mean, Mission Impossible, Ocean's Eleven, Inception, Heat, The Italian Job, Sneakers. And of course, who could forget Nicolas Cage saying, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence, right? We're fascinated with it. Specifically, people are fascinated with pickpockets. There's a whole branch of magic, magicians, who specialize in pickpocketing specifically for the purpose of entertaining people. Because it's, it's entertaining, isn't it? Seeing them, how, how much can they take off of someone without that person noticing? You might not know this person, but the most well-known pickpocket in magician circles is a man by the name of Apollo Robbins. He's kind of a legend in the business, and he became a legend when in 2001 he had an encounter with former President Jimmy Carter's Secret Service detail. Right? And while Jimmy Carter was at dinner, Mr. Robbins struck up a conversation with several of his Secret Service men. And within a few minutes, he had emptied the agents' pockets of pretty much everything but their guns. Robbins, at one point, brandished a copy. He held it up, a copy of Carter's itinerary. And when the agent snatched it back, Robbins said to the agent, he said, you don't have the authorization to see that. And when the agent felt for his badge to prove that he did, Robbins produced it and handed it back to him. And then he turned to the head of the entire detail and handed him his watch, his badge, and the keys to the Carter motorcade. And he's just been a legend in the business ever since. But the idea is we're fascinated with stealing, aren't we? Now, our fascination with illusions... And sleight of hand and entertainment might be innocent enough. But stealing itself, that's another matter. It's a serious matter. And it's the part of the practical outworkings that we find in this section of what it actually means to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Remember a few weeks ago we looked at verses 22 and 24 of Ephesians 4. 22 says, put off your old self. And in 24, Paul says, and put on the new self. And we've talked about how in verses 25 through 32, Paul's going over some practical ways to actually do that. What does it really look like to put off the old self and to put on our new selves in Christ? Because when we commit our lives to following Jesus, there are concrete ways in which we must change. We must renounce sin and begin to walk in righteousness. And one of those ways comes in verse 28 right here today. So verse 28, a single verse is our text today. 
This is the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. Let's read it. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I get lucky again this week because our verse divides itself very neatly into three distinct parts, and so we're going to cover those in turn. The first comes right at the beginning where it says, let the thief no longer steal. Do not steal is the first part of our text today. Now, in Ephesus, in the cultural context to which Paul is writing, he's writing Ephesians. It's a letter to the Christians in Ephesus. In Ephesus, there were likely a number of people who became believers in Christ who were converted out of a much, much different lifestyle. And this might be hard for some of us to relate to, some of us who may have been raised in church our entire lives, like me. I've been raised in church my entire life. So this might be hard for some of us to relate to. They got converted out of a much, much different lifestyle. Paul is writing to many Gentiles who were first-generation Christians. Think about that. In their families. Very first-generation Christians. And and not just Christians, but first-generation people trying to follow God at all. A lot of these people were not Jews who had a history of trying to follow God and to know His ways and obey His commandments. A lot of these people were pagans, being converted out of paganism and into Christianity, and, and they hadn't been taught at all how to know God or live for God. And so Paul is helping them to understand when you came to Christ, you left that life of sin behind you. Some of them were quite literally thieves. Quite literally. They left that life to come to Christ. And Paul is saying, you've got to leave it. You've got to turn your back on it. Becoming a Christian means renouncing those sinful ways. It means putting off your old self and putting on the new self. You are a new creation in Christ, so act like it. We see that thread all throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament. This is who you are in Christ, so live like it. Right? This is who you are objectively. God has made you new. God has forgiven you. God has set you free from sin, so you've got to learn to live like it. But this is a verse for all of us today. It's a verse for all of us today. This is God's word to every single one of us today. You might be sitting here thinking, well, yeah, stealing is wrong. And so thieves need to repent and change. Of course they do. But beware of that tendency inside of all of us to be that Pharisee who, when he prayed, looked up confidently to God and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. There's a tendency inside of each one of us, right, to be that that guy. There's a tendency inside of each one of us to hear a sermon and to think, I know somebody who needs to hear this today. I wish they were here, right? We are like that. We, we tend to hear God's word and to hear a sermon on God's word and to apply it to everything and everyone but ourselves. But today God is calling us to do the exact opposite. Forget about everyone else. That's between them and the Lord. How does this hit your heart? How does this cause you to be convicted? How do you need to repent and turn to the Lord? This is a verse for every single one of us today. You might be very familiar with this idea. It's the eighth of the Ten Commandments, by the way. 
do not steal, you shall not steal. But there's much more to the commandment, do not steal, than being a stereotypical thief. This verse is for all of us today. Stealing includes things like tax fraud, welfare fraud, lying on a government form or a government report so that you can receive more money or or have to pay less money. Stealing includes things like laziness at work, seeking to get paid for more than what you actually did. Young people especially, hear me on this, Young people, we need to know, we need to remember and understand, when you get a job, you are entering into an agreement with an employer to be paid for work done. And so to slack off while you're on the job and to try to get paid for doing nothing is a form of stealing from that employer, from that company. They pay us for the work, not to just hang around and do whatever we want. Stealing includes things like overcharging customers, Got a business? You offer a service? Do you overcharge your customers more than what you know the job is actually worth? You can think of perhaps a a mechanic overcharging a single mom because that single mom doesn't know anything about cars and you can get away with it, right? How many many areas of life and business can we get away with overcharging a customer because they really don't know how much it's really worth? Stealing would include things like embezzlement of money. At your work, a little bit here, a little bit there for my own pockets, or using company funds for personal purchases. Stealing would include things like obtaining money or credit under false pretenses, stretching the truth so you can obtain more credit, more money, more purchasing power. Stealing would also include things like plagiarism. Stealing someone else's idea and pawning it off as your own. Or stealing intellectual property. All of these would be considered stealing. And we could probably go on and list more. I would give you one more from God's word, though. Listen to God's own words from Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. God says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? in your tithes and contributions. That's the Lord speaking to his people there. And so stealing involves much more than just what we might think of as stereotypical theft. Do not steal. Let the thief no longer steal. This is a word for all of us today. But what we've got to do when we hear something like this from God's word is we've got to go deeper than just the the level of our actions. We've got to go deeper. What's the heart issue here? Why do we have a desire to steal? Why do we have a desire to take what is not ours? Why do we have a desire for more than what we have? What's going on in our hearts? What sinful issue do I need to address down deep so that I don't want to do these things? And at the heart level, this is greed coming out. Covetousness. A lack of contentment with what God has provided. Or a lack of trust in God to provide. God has given us everything we need, brothers and sisters. God has given us everything we need. Listen to Hebrews 13, verse 5, which says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
That's such a powerful verse because of the connection that the author of Hebrews makes between keeping our life free from the love of money, being content with what we have, and the promise that God has made. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where do we get the freedom to be content with what we have, even if it's not very much? Where do we get the freedom to not love money? It comes from God's promise that God will be with us and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always provide. And so I don't have to love that stuff. I don't have to chase that stuff. God's giving me everything that I need. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 8. A little bit more practical, but the same idea. Paul says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Many of us today, especially in this part of the world, we need to learn to be content with much less. We need, to be, we need to learn to be content in our hearts with a much simpler lifestyle. Paul says, you want to be like Paul? You want to be righteous and godly like Paul? Paul says, if I've got food and clothing, I'm content with that. Right? The Lord gives me everything I need. Food and clothing, that's enough. My needs are met. What more shall I want? And so, do not steal. Let the thief no longer steal, but notice the second part of our verse today. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Do honest work, brothers and sisters. God wants us to do honest work. The thief does not want to do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. I can get it by easier means. I don't have to work for this money. I can steal it. I don't have to work for these things. I can steal them. But God says this is exactly what we should be doing, doing an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Those who can must work to provide for themselves so that others don't have to provide for them. This is a biblical principle. This is not about politics. It's Bible. Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 11. It says, We should aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Right there, Paul is telling us, if we live a life where we are dependent on others to provide for us when we could be providing for ourselves... We will not be walking properly before outsiders. We will be giving the faith a bad name. We'll be giving the gospel a bad name among the community at large. Or listen to God's words from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Paul says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, listen closely. So many of us in here right now are having that Pharisee attitude come up and saying, yeah, the world needs to hear that message. I know where we live. I know what the the atmosphere is in a place like Columbia, Kentucky. When we hear that stuff, we say, yeah, there's a lot of other people who need to hear this stuff. Remember, 
Fight against that. Fight against that tendency to be pharisaical, to be a Pharisee and to think everyone else needs to hear this. Thank God. Thank you, God. I am not like other men. No. This is us and the Lord right now. This is between us and the Lord. This is how is this affecting my heart? How do I need to repent? How do I need to turn to the Lord in this area? And so do honest work. Perhaps in our modern day, we might say things like, let the employee no longer be lazy at work, even when no one is watching, so that he might earn his paycheck honestly. Or let the able-bodied man or woman no longer mooch off the government, but go get a job to earn their own living and not receive it from the hard work of others. Or let the service provider no longer overcharge his customers who don't know any better, but rather give them an honest bill for an honest amount of work done. Or, let the office worker no longer make over-exaggerated reports to their boss, but rather be forthright about their productivity. Why? Because the Lord sees everything. The Lord sees everything. When, When we think of stealing... We might think of stereotypical theft, but remember, it includes all of those other things that sometimes we call white-collar crime, right? Still stealing. And the idea is, if I can get away with it, if nobody catches me, what's what's the problem? No, No harm done. Some people will even say, especially if I'm stealing from the government, right? No harm done if I can get away with it. The Lord sees everything. The Bible tells us God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. There's a a movie about bank robbers called Hell or High Water. And it's two brothers robbing banks. They're actually robbing banks to help their their dying mother who who owes some bills. And they have this this really formative conversation. It's, It's kind of central to the whole movie in a restaurant one time during the movie. And they're, they're just sitting there talking about their bank robbing, and one of them looks over to the other and says, you talk like we ain't going to get away with this. And the other one looks up from what he's eating and says, I never met nobody who got away with anything, ever. You? And that is so true, is it not? So true. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Lord sees all. And so, we must get to a place in our hearts, brothers and sisters, where we would rather struggle and be right with the Lord than be comfortable without him. We've got to get to a place in our hearts where we would rather struggle and be right with the Lord than be comfortable without him. Because being without the Lord is not worth it no matter how comfortable we are. Being without the Lord is not worth it no matter how many worldly treasures I have and worldly pleasures I have. It's not worth it. Do you remember Moses on Mount Sinai and God saying, you take this stiff-necked people and you go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you because I'll just destroy them on the way. And Moses says, then just kill me now because it's not worth it without you. What's a promised land without God? Moses got it. He gets it at the deepest level there is to get it. He says, I don't want it if it's not you. You're what we want. Not what you can give us. We want 
you. You are the treasure. You are the the end of it all. God is the whole point of all of this we are doing, right? When we come to a message like do not steal, the whole point of it is not so that you can be a, a, a good community member or something like that. The whole point of all of this is so that we can have God. Do not steal so that you can have God. So that you can be right with God. The whole point of the gospel is to make us right with God. The whole reason Jesus died on the cross is to make us right with God. To provide us a way to have him. That's the gospel. That's the goal. That's what we want. That's eternal life. It's God. It's not everything else he can give us. It's not the kind of person he can make us. We want God. And if we don't have him, it's not worth it. So... Are we at a place in our hearts or do we want to get to a place in our hearts where we would rather struggle and be right with the Lord than live in comfort without him? It's God that we want, not comfort. Now, let's look at the final little section of our verse here. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice the purpose or the end goal here that Paul mentions in this verse. So that, so that he may have something to share with those in need. That's the end of it. That's the the point. He does not say do honest work so that you won't have to steal. He does not say do honest work so that you won't have to depend on others for your living. What he says is do not steal, do honest work so that you will have something to share with those in need. Our new life in Christ does not just terminate with us. It does not stop when we've been freed from sin. Goal met. That's not what the Bible presents us. When we become Christians, we don't become monks and run away from the world and all of its problems and play it safe until we can just get to heaven. That's not what we are called to do. No, our, our new life in Christ is meant to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Your Christianity is meant to extend beyond you, to overflow from what God is filling you up with. He gives you more than enough. He gives you more than you need. And it overflows to others in all kinds of different practical ways. James said, Our faith is not true faith unless it produces the fruit of good works to the glory of God and for the good of other people. And so, so when it comes to this that we're talking about today, your income is not primarily about you. The money that God has given you is not primarily about you. That's God's money that he has entrusted to you. You are a steward of his money. How will you glorify him with it? How will you use it to share with those in need? That's the whole reason, Paul says, that you are to do honest work and to earn your own living so that you can have something to share with those in need. Practically, what priority does giving money away to those in need have in your budget? What priority does it have in your budget? Do you give what's left over, if some is left over, 
Or do you prioritize it? Because God said, do honest work, make an honest living, so that you will have something to share with those in need. It's not just your money. Your material possessions are not primarily about you. Those are God's things that he has entrusted to you. How will you glorify God with them? How will you use them to share with those in need? This is a a paradigm shift for us in the way that we think about our income and our possessions. But that is what has to happen when you follow Jesus. It's a paradigm shift when you follow Jesus. An absolute paradigm shift from the way that the world teaches us to think about money and possessions. When you come to Christ, you put off the old self, the old way of living, the way that everybody else lives. You put it off. And you put on the new self. You put off the old way which says, all this is for me to spend on myself and to make myself more comfortable. And you put on the new way of living which says, God has given me the ability to work and earn a living so that I can share with those in need. So what's that going to look like? How am I giving that over to God? Have you let Jesus come in and transform that portion of your life yet? Because that's what he he wants to do. That's what he is demanding of all of us if we follow him. He must be able to come in and transform every little corner of our minds and our hearts, which includes our income and the way that we use our money, our finances, the way that we use our material possessions. Have we let Jesus transform that area of our life so that we can use it to serve others for the glory of God? Now, in all of this, in all of this, we have to kind of take a step backwards a little bit and ask, but what hope is there for a thief? What hope is there for a sinner like me, you might be asking? What hope is there? I mean, this is a, this is a command. It's a command to do what God wants us to do and to live the life he has called us to live. But what hope is there for a sinner? What hope is there for a thief? Through the gospel of Jesus, we find hope to deliver us from every kind of sin. The gospel of Christ is powerful enough not just to forgive us of our lifestyle of sin, but it's powerful enough to transform us into a different person who no longer lives that way, who puts off the old self and puts on a new. When it says, let the thief no longer steal and destroy, that's because these are to let the thief no longer steal. It's because these people have been transformed by the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. In Christ, there is hope for everyone, even thieves. Think about the Bible. Think about all the examples we have. Think about Zacchaeus, little Zacchaeus who climbed the sycamore tree, right? He was a thief. He was a tax collector, but he was a thief in the way that he was collecting taxes. He was collecting too much. And Jesus shows him the extraordinary kindness that no one else would show him and honors him by coming to his home. Out of all the homes he could have come to, he comes to his. Zacchaeus, it says, was was despised and rejected by men, just like Jesus would later be. And Jesus comes to his house and Zacchaeus, his heart is melted by the kindness of Jesus. And he says, right here, right now, this day, I... I I turn my back on that way of living. I repent and I'm going to pay back fourfold wherever I can. And Jesus says, today salvation 
has come to you into this house. Remember Jesus when he was crucified. He was crucified between two what? Two thieves. And one of them got saved. At the very end, one of them got saved. Why? Because he put his faith and his trust in that man on the middle cross. He put his faith and his trust in him. And he pleaded with him for his soul. And Jesus says, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. There's hope even for someone who has lived a life of stealing. Sometimes we forget the power of the gospel, especially those of us who have been raised in church our whole lives. The gospel is powerful enough to radically change someone's life and to take them from a life of sin and immorality to a life of holiness and purity and service to others, to a life of godliness. The gospel is that powerful enough, not just to forgive us our sins, but the power through the Holy Spirit coming inside of us, the power of a new heart to kill sin and to change and to repent and to turn away from it and to live a new life. The gospel is so powerful it can give anyone with any kind of history a new start, a new beginning. Any of you guys ever seen or read the book Les Miserables? You ever seen that movie or read that book? It starts off with one of the most powerful displays of the gospel you'll ever see. So the main character's name is Jean Valjean. I don't know why they made his first and last name sound almost alike. It's weird. But if, if I was writing, I wouldn't do that. But I'm not a writer of fiction, so I guess I don't know. But Jean Valjean, that's his name. And he gets out of, right at the beginning of the story, he gets out of prison, out of labor prison, really. For about 19 years, he's been doing hard forced labor because he was caught in a life of crime, a life of theft, among other things. 19 years of it, and he gets out, and his welcome into the world is not very pretty. He's turned away by everyone, shunned by everyone. Places to stay won't even let him stay there, motels and things like that. He even gets bitten by a dog. It's, it's the horrible first 24 hours of getting out of prison. And, and you can imagine his, his attitude and his, his thought process. And then he finds a, an old, kindly bishop, a man of God, who takes him into his home and feeds him dinner and speaks to him with dignity and respect and compassion in a way that he's never been spoken to before. And you can tell it, it confuses him at first. And then after they talk for a little while after dinner, they go to bed. And how does Valjean repay the bishop for his kindness? Well, he takes his silverware and steals it and runs off in the middle of the night. Next morning, there comes a knock at the bishop's door, and it's the police. And they have the criminal in hand with the bag of silverware. And they say, sir, this man told us. And the bishop interrupts and says, yes, yes. He told you that I gave him my silverware. And, and then he looks at Valjean and he says, and friend, you forgot the candlesticks, the silver candlesticks. You forgot. Why didn't you take them? Hold on just a second. He leaves them standing at the door, goes and gets a bunch of silver candlesticks and brings them back. Here, take these two. Like, you've you got to take everything I give to you. Why wouldn't you take these? And the police are so confused, and they just walk away. They have no idea what to do. How can you press charges? But Valjean is standing there, and his, his mouth is gaping open, and tears start coming down his face. And the bishop looks him in the eye and says, My brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you, and I give it 
to God. And it transforms his life. It just absolutely transforms his life. That act of undeserved grace and kindness. And so for the thief, for the the sexually immoral, for the angry person, for the person who has struggled with all manner of sin, there is hope at the cross. There is the offer of a fresh start, a new life, a new heart, and a new power. You can be cleansed of your sin and be given power to walk in a life defeating sin and depending on the power of Jesus. And you can have salvation and eternal life, and you can have it today. That offer is for all who would come to Jesus in faith and humility and repentance. Right now we're going to spend just a few minutes, as we do each week, in silent prayer. When we hear from God's word, it's just, we feel like we need to respond to God, each of us individually, in the ways that he has spoken to our hearts, in the ways that he has convicted our hearts, in the ways that it has pierced our hearts. And so we're going to spend just a few moments in prayer right now, silent prayer, and this is a time for you to go to God and to respond to whatever he has laid on your heart through his word. After a few moments of praying in silent, responding individually, we'll come back. We'll have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond to God's word publicly can do so. But right now, let's pray.